name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In this morning's gospel lesson, Jesus gives us this picture of the kingdom of heaven as this immaculate wedding banquet. It's, it's also pictured in our Old Testament reading. You got, you got all the best stuff, the best wine, the best food, the best dancing, and everything, everything is ready. He's invited the, the, all the usual suspects, all the people you'd expect to find at the king's, the king's wedding banquet. And yet, the whole first wave of invitations was snubbed. All those who originally invited bring shame to the king and say, no thanks, I got better things to do. And so the king invites everybody else to the wedding banquet, the good and the bad, the seemingly unworthy, the unexpected, and the outcasts, the good and the bad. Then, since all those random last-minute invitees didn't have time to go get a tux from the tux store, the king even supplies the snazzy outfits for himself. And at the end of the wedding, everybody gets to keep it. It's a great deal. Now the comfort of this parable is easy for us to find. The king invites not just the good, but the bad. One's goodness doesn't get you into heaven. And more importantly, one's badness does not keep you out. He invites all and covers you up with his garments. He baptizes your sin off of you and onto him, and in exchange, covers you in his holiness and his perfection. So not only has the Lord called us into his kingdom, despite our sin, shame, guilt, and brokenness, he actually covers up all of our shortcomings with his perfection. And it is quite the party. Jesus never runs out of food or wine. And you get to keep the fancy outfit eternally. And our weddings, you know, they send you out the door these days with some like wedding favor to take home that you don't really want or need, but you have to take it. But Jesus gives you eternal life. It's a pretty good deal. That's how much he loves you. That's what the death of Jesus has done for you. And that's the reality that he has won for you. Knowing all that, why are we so often anxious? Why does our worry and anxiety about the things of this world so easily and often rob us of joy? Why do we think and act and worry as though God doesn't love us and won't actually give us all that we need. In our reading from Philippians, Paul looks at us and cuts to the heart of our troubles. Don't be anxious, he says. Well, that sounds nice. If it were only that easy, the problem is, saying don't be anxious doesn't just chase away the anxiety any more than saying rejoice causes people to jump up and start rejoicing. If you want to be rid of anxiety, 
and have joy, and who doesn't, you have to get to the cause of the anxiety itself. Jesus wants to take away the causes of your anxiety, not because he just wants you to feel good. Jesus isn't as big on feelings as we are. He's after something bigger than dopamine hits of happy times. He's after a more permanent solution. Jesus doesn't want us anxious because our anxiety is the painful evidence that we don't actually believe in the one true God alone. Our anxiety, our hand-wringing, and up-at-night thinking is the proof that we fear other things in this world more than God. That we love this world's pleasure more than Jesus. As we act like we want our kids to be wealthy and popular and on the team more than we want them in heaven. As we trust this world's promises more than the promises of Jesus. And we look at our life that's so full of all the gifts that he so richly lavished upon us and we grow to despise them as we covet what everybody else has. The thing is, no one wants to be anxious. It's not like we're going around looking for more anxiety. If you are, you have a problem. <laughs> our problem is that we think that the solution to our anxiety can be found in this world and by our own efforts. But we keep ending up in the grips of anxiety no matter how hard we try. We're even trying to avoid anxiety, but we just keep becoming more and more imprisoned by it. The first temptation of the devil, which is ultimately the same one that he continues to this day, is that God doesn't really love you, that he's holding out on you, and that you are ultimately on your own. So you're better off at least trying the forbidden fruit. So we chase after all the false promises of our idols that promise to free us from anxiety if we only had more money, more stuff, more health, more friends, different rulers, different laws, or whatever. But the grip of anxiety only keeps getting worse. There's no end to the things that cause us anxiety. War, money, health, relationships. No matter where you turn, anxiety always finds a way in. And the uncertainty of the future doesn't leave us alone. We'll never have enough money to get rid of anxiety. We'll never have enough food or weapons stored in the basement to prep for what might lay ahead. Our health is never secure enough. And we're reminded of our mortality every passing day. We always want a little bit more of whatever it is that promises to rid us of anxiety. Drugs, alcohol, binging movies, losing ourselves on our phones, and ignoring reality. 
It all might offer temporary distraction, but the anxiety always returns and only grips more tightly. So, to people plagued with anxiety, to sinners who never run out of things to worry about, and to a world that can't manufacture enough antidepressants to satisfy the demand, the Lord Jesus comes near. Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. The Lord is at hand. That is, the Lord is near. Your Lord Jesus has not left you alone, but has joined himself to you. And where the Lord is, all of those things that cause us anxiety, they lose their powerful grip. A child who's afraid of monsters under the bed is not given peace by you saying, stop whining and go to bed. I know I've tried it. But dad has to come into the room and turn on the light and show that there's nothing there to fear. And he says, don't worry, I'll be right here with you. Nothing's going to get you. No matter how old we get, anxiety continues to be the monster under our bed. But our Lord is always near. I am with you always. Is the promise he made to you when he baptized you into his name. So he is always near. Where Jesus is, the monster of anxiety loses its power over you. How can death harm you when the Lord of life is with you? How can sin hurt you when the Lord of forgiveness is with you, always forgiving you? How can a lack of money threaten you when the God who creates all has joined himself to you. You are never alone, but he is near to you and will not leave you alone to face whatever comes tomorrow. So rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Do not be anxious, the Lord is near. The mother speaking the gospel to her anxious child speaks Jesus into the anxiety. The father praying with his family speaks Jesus into the fear of life and sends it running. The Christian rejoicing in the Lord's gifts of word and sacrament is freed from the grips of anxiety day by day. To us who face an uncertain world with much that brings anxiety, He gives us his true body and blood to loosen anxiety's grip upon us. In short, when you feel anxious, run toward Jesus, not away from him. Fill up with his gifts and give him the causes of your anxiety. And when anxiety loosens its grip, that's when true joy floods in. So why not rejoice? He has invited you into his wedding feast. He's wrapped you in all that you need for eternity, and it is a joyful party. 
joy in the face of anxiety, and even joy in the face of suffering. He gives us the joy of sins forgiven and the promise of a God who is near to us for us to speak to this anxious and sin-torn world. So do not be anxious. You are not alone. Your Lord is near, and he will not let you go. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.